Good morning, River Church community. I'm so glad that you could join us online this morning. I want to invite you to take a moment and bring to mind a time when you felt known. A time when you said, wow, that person just, they really get me. You know, maybe it's when you, you look at someone and you don't even have to use words to communicate. They just, they already know what you're thinking. Or maybe it's a gift that someone gave you. It was something that you said you wanted like years ago and they remembered or it was perfect for your personality. Could be a word of affirmation that someone gave you and it made you feel like they knew you better than you knew yourself. They pointed out something that you didn't see. What comes to your mind? Isn't it lovely to feel known, to feel like someone gets us? It meets this deep longing, this need. And at the same time, there's a tension to being known, isn't there? Of wanting that kind of intimacy, of wanting to be known, but not wanting to be known too much. There's, there's a fear within that. It's like we would, we would never want someone to know like all the mistakes that we've made, the gossip that we've shared, the lies that we've told, our insecurities, how we really think about ourselves sometimes, our thoughts, aspects of our past, whatever it is. I think we all have something that we're afraid to share, something that we want to hide. So there's this tension of wanting that, that intimacy of being known and closeness while also being afraid of being fully known. Because if they fully know us, what would happen? In the book of John, uh, the book of John tells the story of Jesus' life, his work, his death and resurrection. And the book tells a story of an interaction that Jesus had with this woman who I think is living into this tension. This is in John chapter 4. We're going to dive into this story starting with verse 4. In verse 4 it says, Now he had to go through Samaria, Jesus. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sakar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, 
Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, Go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you're right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you have had five husbands and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see your prophet our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshiper the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in the spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah, called Christ, is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. Just then, his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. But no one asked, what do you want or why are you talking to her? Then leaving her jar of water, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, Come, see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town and made their way toward him. Okay. There's a lot of tension in this story, and there are many things to be curious about. So we're going to make our way through it, but first I want to start at the ending. What I think is very interesting. It says this woman, in one translation, tells everyone about Jesus. And if you think about how uncomfortable it is to tell anyone, just one person about Jesus, how uncomfortable it can be to have a conversation about faith, values, politics even, consider that this woman tells everyone. It's like telling your dentist, the parents that you met at your kid's soccer practice, your mechanic, your ex, the barista that you see twice a week, the student who cheated off of you during midterm, she tells everyone. And why? Because he told her everything she ever did. She tells everyone because this guy aired her dirty laundry. The things that she would have rather kept secret. Let's try to make sense of what's going on in this story. So as it starts out, it says Jesus had to go to Samaria. He ends up at this well where he sees a woman a Samaritan woman who has also come to draw water. Now, what I recently learned is that through archaeology, we know that there actually would have been a well closer to where this woman was coming from. 
So this woman actually goes out of her way, travels farther to go to this well. And what we know about the culture and from other stories in the Bible, women would go to a well to draw water, but also to socialize. It was a place to connect, to hang out, and to gossip. So why would this woman go way out of her way to this other well to get water here? Almost like she's avoiding other people, other women. It's probably because the other women are talking about her. Maybe we can assume that she's not welcome in that space, that those women don't want her there. In some way, it seems like this woman, the Samaritan woman, is trying to hide. She is isolated. And while she's trying to hide and she's isolated, I think she's also living in this tension of wanting to be seen, to be desired, to be treated as someone special, recognized for her goodness, not just her past, to be freed from the shame and the gossip and the slander and receive honor as a person. So Jesus and, and this woman are at this well, and Jesus asks her for a drink of water. Now, what you have to know is that Jews and Samaritans had this bitter history. Like in the text, it said Jews did not associate with Samaritans. So this surprises the woman. But in addition to that, rabbis did not talk to women like this. So there are all these like cultural barriers that Jesus is breaking through, and that surprises the woman. That's why she says, how can you ask me for a drink? But even in that statement, I hear another layer of rejection. Do you hear it? Almost like she's saying, don't you know who I am? Why are you even talking to me? And so Jesus responds to her and says, look, if you knew the gift of God, if you knew who I was, you would be asking me for a drink. And this woman responds in this kind of sassy Shania twang, like, that don't impress me much. Like, okay, so you have living water. Who do you think you are? Our father, Jacob? And Jesus says, look, if you drink this water, you're going to be thirsty again. But I have this living water. And whoever I give it to will not thirst, but become a spring of living water, welling up to eternal life. So Jesus is talking metaphorically, but the woman think, is thinking literally. And so she says, great, where can I get that water so I don't have to keep coming here to draw water? And this is where the tension really builds. Jesus says, go call your husband. She says, I have no husband. Jesus says, that's right, you have had five husbands. And the man that you're with now is not your husband. Now here's the thing. We don't actually know why this woman has had five husbands. Did the men die? Did they leave her? Was she difficult to live with? Did somebody commit adultery? Is she not marrying the guy she's with now because she's given up on marriage? Because it's been painful? 
we don't know why this woman has had five husbands, but what we do know is it's a source of grief. It has to be a source of shame and isolation and disappointment. I can't imagine that she thought her life was going to go this way. And even here, this guy that she has never met knows her story. And he names it. This is awkward. This reminds me of the scene in Bridesmaids, if you've ever seen the movie, where the maid of honor shows up to the to the engagement party and she's talking and meeting the bridal party and she meets this one bridesmaid who just got married. And her and her husband are like nauseatingly cute. You know, they're like, oh, with the PDA. And the bridesmaid's name is Becca. And she says to the maid of honor, oh, is this your husband? And it's this random guy that's just standing in proximity to them. And the maid of honor says, oh, no, no, no. And so the bridesmaid says, where's your husband? And she responds, oh, no, I'm, I'm not with anyone right now. I'm here solo. So the bridesmaid feels super awkward. And she's like, can we just start over? I'm Becca. This is my husband. You don't have a husband. <laughs> it's just like... And then there's awkward silence. It's like, what do you even say? You just, you just want to change the topic. And that's what this woman does. She's like, shoot. Changes the topic. And verse 19 just brings something totally different up. Yeah, right. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. It's like she actually brings up this controversial issue as if to divert from the conversation about her life. And so then Jesus tells her as we read, look, this time is coming when it's not going to matter. Like you're going to worship in spirit and truth. And then he tells her, I'm the Messiah. And then she tells everyone, the woman that was trying to hide from her community is now telling everyone, telling all the people who are talking about her. She's telling them about the guy who named all of her dirty laundry. How do you make sense of that? You know, recently I had a particularly challenging day. There were like a handful of things that just were adding up and making me feel tired and overwhelmed. And I laid down in my bed and I was just sitting with these feelings and this longing that I had for connection. It was like, I really just felt like I need a hug. I really want a hug. And I was trying to think about like, who could I last minute reach out to who might be available to get together with me? And should I tell them that I need a hug? And then I look at the time and I realize I still have more work to do that I need to finish tonight. So I just, I like gather myself and I start typing on my computer. And within 10 minutes, this email pops up on my screen and the subject reads, do you need a hug? And I thought, wow, these algorithms are getting really good. Like I didn't even say this out loud. Someone is reading my mind. And I open the email and it's from a friend of mine in Fresno who I haven't talked to in months. And they said, uh, you showed up in my dream, which as far as I can remember, you've never 
come up in a dream for me. But in the dream, you just needed a hug. Like I, I felt like I really needed to give you a hug. And so I did. And then you leaned in. So I'm wondering if you need a hug. And I just started crying because it was one of those tangible moments where the God who can sometimes feel so absent, the God who we can think is so far, his eyes were turned towards me. It was like God was breaking through to embrace me. And not just that, but God knew the, the longing of my heart right then and that moment and wanted to satisfy it. And there's nothing wrong with needing a hug. Like, that's a very real need. But this was far more satisfying than a hug that I would have gotten from a friend. As soon as I collected myself, I just wanted to tell everybody about it. Wow, I cannot believe it. Like, God is paying attention to me. God knows my thoughts. God knows my heart. He hears me and cares. Now, I know that this woman's experience, her story, her encounter with Jesus is a little different. But in essence, I think what is happening is somewhat similar. Like Jesus knew who this woman was. He really knew her. He knew the longings of her heart. And it didn't push him away. In fact, it was like he broke through like all of these barriers. He knew the longings that her husbands did not satisfy. He knew the pain. He knew the longings that her community didn't even care or pretend to care about. She mattered and Jesus could satisfy what she really longed for. He broke through all of her shame, rejection, regret, isolation, cultural barriers to embrace her. Why did this woman tell everyone? How could she not tell everyone? Who's experienced this? Who has ever had a taste of this living water? Come on, it's good. It's almost like a spring of living water that's just bubbling up and you can't stop it. You know, Judy Sal, one of the members of our community during our fall challenge around scripture, she pointed out to me, Grace, it's a spring. And that means it's like overflowing into our life, into our relationships, people around us. And I wonder how many of us have experienced that. I also wonder and get the sense that some of us are living in a life with Jesus that doesn't feel like a spring of living water. Instead, it feels like you have a canteen with like a couple sips of water and you're on the way to Mordor and you're like, I can't share this. Like, I need this water. I'm, I'm just trying to ration this so it lasts. It's like, it's not a spring. That is very much a reality. So let me ask you, if that is how you are experiencing life with Jesus, like your relationship with him, why do you think that is? I don't mean that judgmentally. I don't mean to imply I have the answer. I don't. I mean that with genuine curiosity. Do you have a sense of why you think your relationship with Jesus feels like that? 
Because sometimes it's on God. Like we have this real hunger for God. We're like, God, I'm searching for you. I'm like looking for you everywhere. I'm doing the thing. And it feels like you're not showing up. That is very real. Is there something that Jesus would tell you to go get? What are you hiding that is keeping you from Jesus? Is there a source of pain or shame or deep longing that you haven't let God into? Is there something in your life, in your heart, in your mind that is making you think that you can't drink from the well, that you can't receive the gift that God has for you? I get a sense that God is reaching down to embrace us, breaking through all of the things. He knows us and longs to be with us. In the new year, we're going to be running Alpha, which is a small group kind of experience that makes space for people to ask deep questions that they have about life and encounter Jesus for the first time. And my hope and longing is that you would invite people, that you might invite the parent that you met at soccer practice or the barista that you see every couple of days that you've developed a relationship with, your mechanic, your neighbor, your coworker, whoever it is. And that it would come from an overflow and the satisfaction that you experience in your relationship with Jesus. That would be the hope. So I want to invite you this morning to take a few minutes and ask God to bring to mind three people in your life, not everyone, just three, who don't know the gift that God has for them and might be open to that and write their names down. And would you pray for them this morning and regularly develop a rhythm of praying for them? Just asking God, God, show me what you're doing in this person's life and how I can partner with you. And if your experience right now in your life with Jesus is like, yeah, I have the canteen. There's like a few sips of water in this thing. I don't know this spring. It's been a long time. Like it's been a long time, years since I've had an encounter with Jesus like that. Maybe you also include in your prayer something like, God, I want, I want your love and goodness to overflow into these relationships. I want deeper satisfaction in my relationship with you. Can you lead me there? I mean, can you imagine if a coworker or friend or neighbor asks you, hey, how are you doing? And you said, you know, yeah, it's, Life is really full. It is full and stressful, but I have this deep abiding peace. I don't know. There's just this deep sense within me that everything's going to be okay. Or yeah, you know, we've, we've, our family, we've gone through some painful things the last couple of years and I, I feel so comforted by my community and God. There's just, 
I'd love to tell you more about it. My hope is that we all would experience the fullness of life with Jesus and that it would be a great joy. I know that it's scary and intimidating to talk to other people about Jesus, but a great joy to testify to what God has done in our life. So I invite you today to pray for these three people and to be open to God with where you're at and consider developing a rhythm of praying for those three people. Let me pray for us now. God, thank you for the gift that you have for all of us. Your tenderness, your love, the comfort of your spirit, the satisfaction of life with you and the way that you come to meet us in this way that is so surprising. I pray that you would fill us all to a sense of fullness, that you would renew our hearts, that you would renew in us a sense of wonder and curiosity about what you might be doing around us, God. I pray this in your name. Amen.
Let me send you with this blessing. To God be the glory and to the earth peace. And to you, River Church community, courage. Courage as you live life with God and share about his goodness that you experience. And may the peace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you now and forever. Amen.